Sexual addiction is the most shameful of all addictions. Today on Tales from the Office, what is sexual addiction and how to recover from it, starting now. Welcome to Tales from the Office. My name is Jeff Brandler. Our topic for today is sexual addiction. The problem with sex addiction is it is the least recognized of all addictions. We have great compassion for people's drinking and drugging, etc. When celebrities or athletes come out to discuss their history with these addictions and their stories of overcoming it, we praise them. We marvel at their courage. We admire their ability to look at death and come back. When the very same athletes or celebrities address sexual addiction, we laugh and mock them. We make fun of their plight. I mean, how can you have too much sex? There is a problem I'd like to have. Ha ha ha. This addiction is very real and very devastating to people who have it and the family members who discover it. The problem with alcohol and drugs is their membership doesn't pass the eyeball test. They look bad. There are physical symptoms. There are mood changes. There are behavioral changes. Sex addicts typically look okay. They don't get early warning signs within the legal system, such as a DWI, or an arrest for public intoxication, or even possession of drugs. They don't test positive for drugs on a random drug test at work or school. The damages caused by this disease are internal or within a relationship. No one would know a person has this problem until it happens. And because of the guilt and shame associated with it, no one ever knows about it. Today, we will examine sexual addiction, what it is, what it isn't, and what to do about it. What is sexual addiction? The easiest way to describe sexual addiction is to define addiction. Addiction is a primary, chronic, progressive disease which affects the person physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. A person with addiction has a loss of control, a high potential for relapse, impaired judgment, thinking, and actions. Addiction will affect a person's life lifestyle, family, job, self, and self-esteem. It will rob the person of their morals and values in order to fulfill their desire for their addiction. For many people, the end point of their addiction is death. Sexual addiction fulfills all the pieces of that definition. A person will have their preference of sex behavior. He or she will do the ones that work best for them. It is their drug or drugs of choice. This might include, but not be limited to, pornography, prostitutes, massage parlors, escorts, multiple affairs, voyeurism, fetishes. They will have an obsession about this behavior and then have the compulsion to do it. 
I might think about watching porn on bodyparts.com throughout the course of my workday. I might even fantasize about what I might see there. Clearly, I will be distracted by these thoughts and obsessions and may or may not do a great job at my work. When I am able to, I will then act on my obsession and watch videos on this site. I might watch it in my car, some risk, at work, high risk, at my desk, very high risk. I might show this to my female coworker, really, really high risk. I will then repeat this pattern of obsession and compulsion regularly, perhaps daily, perhaps multiple times during the day. Because addiction is a progressive illness, my watching of porn might have started slowly, once a week, on weekends, maybe less, maybe more. Because of the fantasy and reward cycle, causing me pleasure, I will repeat this behavior over and over and over again. The risk increases with the behavior. It's part of the high of the addiction. Another way in which addiction is progressive is by combining behaviors and or chemicals and or other addictions. I might drink prior to picking up a woman at a bar for random sex. While with this woman, I might use cocaine. We might add other partners to our adventure and drink and drug while doing so. The highs increase, the risk increases, the crash increases. In order to get that high, I need to continue to escalate my addictive behaviors in order to feel that rush or that high. Now, you may be asking yourself, wouldn't you see how crazy this behavior is? I mean, you're risking diseases, infections, loss of job, relationships, money, etc. The answer is a loud no. Sex addiction, like other addictions, is a brain disease. I'm totally impaired in my decision-making. I will use all of my defense mechanisms, including denial. I don't have a problem. Minimization. It's only porn. Rationalization. If you had the type of job I did, you'd need some outlet too, in order to protect myself from feelings of guilt and shame. The easiest way to protect myself from guilt and shame is to be literally out of my mind. The cyclical nature of addiction once the high is done, becomes use, feel like crap, use to not feel like crap, feel like crap again. Rinse, lather, repeat, again and again. How do you know if you have sex addiction? Let's answer this question based on our standard knowledge of alcoholism. It is estimated that 1 in 10 people develop alcoholism. If you are at MetLife Stadium that holds 80,000 people, you can estimate that there are roughly 8,000 alcoholics there. That does not mean that 72,000 people are not consuming alcohol during a Sunday football game. Many of them do quite nicely and successfully and are happy watching a game and having no problems with their drinking. What separates out the haves from the have-nots is not how much they drink, although that's a factor, but what happens when they drink. Bill might get blotto drunk during tailgating, puke his brains out, and enjoy a day of football. Bob may get blotto drunk at the tailgate and might not go into the game. He might decide to drive in order to get more beer, 
get into a car accident, and get a DWI. Bill and Bob are very different in their behaviors and their consequences. If this is a pattern of Bob's, it is likely he has an addiction. With sex addiction, it is exactly the same. Nearly half of Internet users watch porn. However, the National Council on Sexual Addiction Compulsivity estimates that 6-8% of Americans are sex addicts. So let's use some round numbers, and let's call that 1 in 15. But who is the 1 in 1 in 15? It's not like they're going to wear name tags that says sex addict on it. Sex addicts, like other addicts, are diagnosed by the others around them before they are diagnosed by themselves or by treatment providers. So the others around them have lots of information. If you are in a relationship and have a partner that you are concerned about, then I'm talking directly to you right now. Does your partner constantly watch porn for hours and hours? Does your partner come home after a long business trip and acts funny? Does your partner disappear for periods of time during the workday and has some flimsy excuses for the disappearance? Does your partner continue to be out for happy hours, which turn into later and later and later hours? When you have addressed these concerns, have you heard any of these things? You're crazy. You have a wild imagination. If you're so concerned about our sex life, why aren't we having any? I can't believe you're hacking into my phone and my computer. Aren't I allowed to have some privacy? If you've heard any of these statements, or others like it, you have probably backed off. You doubted your instincts and watched the behaviors continue. But you know deep inside that something was wrong. Perhaps since addiction is chronic, you've seen the same behaviors and had the same conversations. You will continue to have the same conversation with the same result until you are ready to have a different conversation. Once you arrive there, then you're ready to address the issue. In our technological world, there are many sites with quizzes to assess one's addictive behavior. Using a highly technical search in Google, quotations, am I a sex addict, you will find 11 of these sites on page 1 alone. If you choose to delve into this topic further, you may encounter books and articles written by Patrick Carnes, Rob Weiss, and countless others who have written about sexual addiction. In fact, Carnes created the SAST, the Sexual Addiction Screening Test, which is a simple yes-no screening to assist family members, therapists, and people who may be concerned about their behavior. Oftentimes, however, the chronicity of addiction leads to consequences that are hard to not notice. The sexually transmitted disease, the arrest, the job loss due to violations of the company internet policy, and others. At that point, the person has way more motivation to seek treatment. Let's take a short break and then look at a case example.
back from the break, more on what is sexual addiction. How do I fix sex addiction? Sex addiction, like all other illnesses and diseases, doesn't have a fix. But like diabetes or cancer, it can be treated and treated successfully. I've seen people in my office make amazing changes from the depths of despair with guilt and shame, remorse and self-loathing, to happiness and a highly spiritual core. Let's take a look at one of these cases. Marvin is a 35-year-old male. He is married to Joanne. They have three kids. Marvin watches internet porn sites repeatedly after the kids go to bed. He would often stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning. When Joanne would ask him why he was still up, Marvin would say that he was working. At times, he would be surly and combative in his answers, and conflicts would definitely occur. This pattern repeated itself often. In addition to searching porn sites, Marvin would often search sites to see if he could connect with someone for sex. This increased his high, his obsession, and his compulsion. There were days that he told Joanne that he had a work meeting and he wouldn't be home till late. Marvin continued his porn and random sex searching behavior for several years. Joanne would get suspicious, but Marvin would shut her down with reasonable reasons about his behavior. One day, while Marvin was searching his favorite hookup site, he got a message that he could meet with someone named Jane right now. He abruptly left his computer and zoomed out to meet this woman. Joanne thought this was odd behavior, but said nothing. She had this nagging feeling that she couldn't let go of. She went to Marvin's computer and found the website for his hookup site and his conversation with Jane about their immediate meeting. She was devastated, angry, hurt, and betrayed. Two hours later, Marvin returned. He looked funny. Joanne confronted him about her findings. Initially, he denied it and attempted to rationalize his behavior. He later admitted he had done it, but it was just the first time. Joanne asked him if he would go to counseling with her. After seeing her pain, he reluctantly agreed, and they made an appointment to meet with me. When Marvin and Joanne attended their first session, Marvin looked like he hadn't slept in a week. Joanne looked pale, cried continuously, and her body was shaking. The look of their pain was obvious. They shared the history of the problem and the multitude of feelings that each of them had. Marvin wanted to stop his behavior only so that Joanne would be happier. Joanne wanted to be happier, but knew that if Marvin did not stop his behaviors, their addicted cycle would continue. Marvin wasn't exactly honest in sharing his history, especially when he said he only went to the hookup site once, but he was willing to look at his behaviors and return. Due to some previous family history, Joanne was referred to a female colleague where she could work on those issues in individual therapy. She was invited to return for couple sessions on an as-needed basis. Marvin returned and was way more honest without Joanne in the room. He was willing to stop the porn and the hookups for one month. I asked him to get a porn blocker for his computer, which he initially balked at, but later was open to. He was asked to read Patrick Carnes' Don't Call It Love, which begrudgingly he was willing to do. Marvin and I continued to meet. At the 30-day mark, we reviewed our agreement, 
he had noticed some changes in himself. He was more relaxed, was sleeping better, and he was less angry. He had read the Karn's book and identified with some of the stories. We talked about attending one of the 12-step groups for sexual addiction so that he would be around others who had similar stories and had made some changes in their life. After some reservations, for example, where are the meetings? What if someone sees me? I heard it's like a cult. All they do is brainwash you there. Marvin was open to trying out a local meeting. He attended the meeting and learned a bunch of things. One, the definition of sexual sobriety, how all the guys there had hurt their spouses, how recovery had to be for him. He was introduced to the 12 steps and found out that group members helped one another with problems. Marvin continued to go to the 12-step group. He continued his abstinence and his sobriety. The relationship with Joanne had gotten better, but it had its ups and downs. Marvin had a bunch of guys he could call when the relationship had its downs. He obtained a sponsor and was working on the 12 steps. He found that writing about the steps gave him a focus for getting out many of his feelings about himself and about his addictive behaviors. He had much more acceptance about his addiction, as well as how he used addiction as a stress management and avoidance tool, particularly in the marriage. Marvin now uses his newfound spirituality to deal with stress instead of his old addictive behavior. People like Marvin and Joanne go from the highway to hell of addiction to a better, happier road of sobriety. They have a better quality of life and a better understanding of what's most important in their lives. Let's take one more quick break, and then we'll wrap things up. Thank you for listening to today's show about sexual addiction. Like all addictions, sexual addiction is treatable but most people are too ashamed and scared to be open about this problem. If you or someone you know has this issue, please get some help. If you're a family member, spouse, or partner, please get help for yourself. This is an addiction that decimates people in their family. There is no reason to stay quiet, embarrassed, or ashamed since you can attend a self-help group, read books, articles, go to websites, or even attend therapy. If you have questions or comments about today's show, please get in touch with me via my website, www.changeispossible.org. Thanks for listening. This is Jeff Brandler, and I'll be back soon with more tales from the office.